So this lady in 2001, 21 years ago, she paid 155,000 for that land, oceanfront in South Carolina. Guess how much she sold it to me? She sold it to me for 700 bucks. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with a virtual land flipper, as you can see, Ray Zhang. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his business model today. He just told me he's in Florida. It's warmer in Florida than it is here in Montreal. How are you doing today, Ray? Good. How are you doing, Terry? I'm great. Yeah, so to be here. tell me a little bit about the journey through life that has led you to be on my show today talking about virtual land flipping. Uh, it's been a long way. I tried uh, all different kind of uh, real estate uh, niches, wholesaling houses, virtual wholesaling houses, apartments, you know, rentals. And uh, eventually I started to do land. And, uh, you know, even after I started to do land, there was like a three years, you know, exploration period, right? I want to know which, you know, niche fits me the best. And this year we have uh, very, very well uh, success or results doing land virtually. Great. So tell me, did you have like a day job before you got into this? What made you do the, swip the switch to real estate? Uh, I never worked for anyone besides my first job. Uh, I was a tour guide in like a park uh, and I was so tired of it. And then I started to flip cars when I was in the job and uh, I fired my boss the, the first day I, I, I sold my car, you know, the first car. I still remember what he said. He said, uh, just go back there and grab your stuff, right? He didn't really care at all. So, you know, if you work for someone, they probably care, but, you know, not as much as your own future. So. Mm -hmm. And then how do you go from flipping cars to flipping buildings? You know, I was uh, just got some uh, savings. I was like, you know, I look at those real estate guys and they make a whole bunch of money. Uh, at least they say they, are, they did, right? And uh, I was like, they make one house deal that was 20 cars I have to sell to equal their, their profit. You know, I, I thought, you know, I have to level up my game. So that's when I started to try real estate and it won't work for like a couple of years at the beginning. So. Mm -hmm. And how long yeah. ago was that? I started to try about nine years ago. So I started to have some success in land about three and a half years ago. So during these six years, I've been trying and, uh, you know, just uh, trying different stuff, houses, apartments, everything, you name it. So, And did that's all in Florida or is it kind of across the States? Uh, I was living in Hawaii. Uh, so, you know, virtual wholesaling or wholesaling houses was uh, fairly harder there. Um, if I was in the mainland, I would have made it work. And so you've moved now? Yeah, I'm right now in Florida. I moved here about uh, a year ago. Okay. Not too long, yeah. So tell me about your business model. How do you find the land? Uh, how much does it cost? How do you flip it? Just tell me how the whole thing fits together. Okay, so uh, my strategy fits more like a donut strategy. So I've picked a very hot market like uh, Denver or Austin, Texas or Dallas. Um, and then I start to market to the land nearby that hot market. I never go into that hot market because... 
you know, a lot of competition there and you cannot get a very good deal. But those areas surrounding that hot market is where I target too. And then I buy those land of 30 or 40 cents on the dollar. And uh, after I bought it, I put it back on the MLS by a realtor. So I sold it back to the market about 90% uh, of the value. So my is the cheapest in the whole market. And uh, I try to make it quicker. You know, if there is a sale, that would be me because I'm the cheapest in the entire area. Yeah, that's all come back to how much you, you start to buy them, right? So. And then how do you find that land at 30, 40 cents on the dollar? I, I mail it to everyone, every landowner in the entire area. And uh, so my motto is I offer them 40% on the dollar and uh, they either agree or tear it up, right? So if they tear it up, I never heard about, never heard from, from them. But if they call me back, I negotiate on top of that. So that's kind of like a double kill and uh, get a super good deal. Uh, and then I can sell it back um, maybe 90 cents on the dollar. So. And how do you, like, what's your success rate? I mean, I can't imagine that you're getting a lot of phone calls. Like, what's your conversion rate for that kind of thing? Uh, I don't have a specific rate because every market is different. But whoever call me, I could possibly get a deal. Because I, I have done hundreds of land deals so far. I have never paid the original offer price ever. So it's always something off, you know, at that original price. Uh, there are some, the crazy ones is um, I offer for 22000 and I end up buying for a couple hundred. And uh, I got two land for free this year. I sold it for 24000 total. So it just, uh, how do you say that normally? And you really listen to the seller and see what's, what's their need, right? And then, you know, it kind of say different things. It depends on their needs. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. making this sound too easy. And I want to <laughs> know, I want to know, but I want to know like, like, okay, so tomorrow I'm just going to, what, like canvas the whole, you know, sub, like, I guess what, beyond the suburbs of Denver or something, make sure that I find the names and phone, not phone numbers of addresses of those people. Like, how do you make this work? Because you're making it sound too easy. Yeah. So I, first of all, I look at the sold data. So whoever uh, sold uh, a land, there is uh, data there, right? So I want to see exactly what that subdivision subdivision belong to. And uh, so let's say this land sold uh, last week for what price in that subdivision? A, right? And then I would target the entire subdivision for about 40% of that sold price. Either is range about 40 to 55%. And if there's a hot market like Denver, I would jump to 50%, right? So if I go back to Florida or Texas, I would do about 45%. So I offer about 40% of the entire subdivision. And whoever calls me, you know, they they know I'm not paying the, the market price. So when they call back, they don't expect you to pay the the full the full value of the land, right? So they either don't know how much their land is worth or they have some situation they need money. And uh, either way, I can, you know, can try to convince them to sell me for lower price. But I don't really push them. I pull back, uh, just pretending I don't want to buy that land and see how much the best they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so do you do this all yourself or do you have like some kind of a CRM or like some virtual assistants or what's your, what does your team look like? Yeah, I have a one virtual assistant and uh, I pay him uh, $2 an hour, not too much. 
<laughs> actually just I just sent him a couple hundred today to just for you know Christmas, right? But uh, normally I would just pay him two dollar an hour, and he re- he was really happy about that price. But you know you never know, right? When you find a virtual assistant, so he's the only employee I have. Uh, he helped me send out the offers, and uh, then when the offer comes back, I talk the seller myself uh, about two to three hours a day on the phone. And after I got the the deal, I'll send it to the title company to close it. And they go from there. The title company will call the seller and make sure the deal went through smooth. And after it transferred to my name, I will send it to the the realtor to post it for me and list it for sale. So on the selling side, I don't even need to worry about it. You know, so you just give it to the realtor and forget it. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really like it's a very interesting niche. I don't, you know, yeah. don't talk to many people who do those kind of transactions. And I'm still, I guess, I'm still trying to get a sense for. Let's say I want to try to do this tomorrow. Like, mm-hmm. how, what do I, what do I do tomorrow morning to set up this kind of business for myself? Uh, first of all, you need to know the data. What happened in the last three months in the county you chose? So I divide my my um. Steps into six steps, right? There's the first step is market selection. You have to find a market that、uh, you know that you can do business there. So the key indicator is、uh, you have to have at least forty sold in that county in the last three months for land alone, right? And、uh, that's the first part, right? The second part is how to make offers. So we make offers about forty percent of the sold price in the same subdivision, not the same county. Same subdivision, right? So, and then I send the offer out. That you know, all the males is like your little armies, right? They kill all the non-middle, non-motivated sellers, and、uh, they you know bring back all the motivated sellers. They call me back. I know how much the value of the land in about five minutes. So that's the third step, which is、uh, a land evaluation. You have to know how much that land is worth under five minutes. Right, so on the phone with the seller, and the, the fourth step is negotiation. So you talk to the seller,、uh, you help them, you listen, and then try to get a lower price than the offer price. So after that, it just、um, you know you acquire you you acquire the land,、uh, you you know close it with the title and sell it with the realtor. So that six steps total, and、uh, you know very easy. You don't have to spend a lot of time on this business because you know. There's nothing to talk about on land, right? There's just dirt, yeah, <laughs> and numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode, or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Okay. Very interesting. So I want to now move to like some kind of not specifically business model questions that I, I like to ask my guests. So. I think one of the things that I don't like in the real estate industry is that very often, you know, you look at people's Instagram feeds and what they're putting out in public. You see like all the wins, and you see kind of a celebration of this like ball and lifestyle. And 
when the actual truth is that all of us who, you know, have reached some level of success have done it with some kind of sacrifice. So whether that's a time sacrifice, a lifestyle sacrifice, a security sacrifice, what do you feel like your the hits were that you took in delaying gratification to get your business off the ground? Yeah, my my mentor Tom Curl always tell me uh, the number two rule of business is everyone is full of poop, right? So uh, they all post different things on Instagram and try to show off, but the re reality there is a lot of hard works behind the scene. And people don't see, and they see this uh, business so shiny, and you know there's always a shiny, shinier project, right? When you do something, this business, you know, that you're not doing right now, it's always uh, quicker to get the money, and the amount of money is always bigger, right? So that's called shiny object. Well, whatever you do, you will run into that shiny object. And uh, but for land, uh, I would say this is the opportunity. Right, if believe it or not, land is very easier to for, compared to houses. There's absolutely nothing on top of it. You don't need to worry about the toilet or the wall falling down, right? So the land is is about uh, the opportunity about in ten years ago for houses. So, um, but everyone right now start to kind of realize the value of the land right now. But I was uh, I would assume about ten years later, land will be as popular as houses. But uh, you know, behind the scene, I have to call uh, people. You have to follow up. Uh, just exactly what you do with houses, but much easier uh, to talk about land with a seller. Because just think about it: uh, the seller do not have emotion attached to a piece of dirt. They have emotion attached to a house. So if you try to negotiate a house for forty percent, I, I would say good luck to you, right? So, but with land, people have. Not only they do, don't have the the positive emotion to the land, sometimes they have negative emotion to land, because you know they let's say you are you bought the land in Florida, you plan to move there after retirement, and all of a sudden you move to Montreal, and then all this uh, dirt or or the weeds grow on the the land, are you gonna fly here to just cut it? And uh, you might hire people to cut it, but what about the second time, the third time, the tenth time, right? So eventually you'll be super tired of it, and if you don't cut it, the city will give you a ticket. It's called nuisance lien, right? So they give you a ticket, you have to pay, otherwise you lose the property. So sometimes when they call me, they're out of desperation. They want to get rid of it. Uh, I have a, a deal happened about two months ago. So this lady in 2001, 21 years ago, she paid a hundred fifty-five thousand for that land, oceanfront in South Carolina. Guess how much she sold it to me? She sold it to me for seven hundred bucks, and uh, I was I was shocked myself. But she said, "Whoever can close this fastest, I'll give it to to that guy." I was like, "I'm the fastest guy on the earth," you know, not not running, but as far as closing the deal. So I closed that. I closed that within a week. I got that land for seven hundred. After close it, I asked her, "Why do you sell it for seven hundred? You paid one hundred fifty-five. And she said, um, "Because I want to take it as a tax loss for my company, and uh, I don't want to deal with that crap anymore." So that's what happened with land, right? Sorry, interesting. Take a long time. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it's an interesting answer, but you didn't really tell me about what sort of, you know, sacrifices you 
not to maybe where you are in that particular kind of business. Maybe I can poke you again to just, yeah, you know, yeah. Speak so, to so that the, a little bit. <laughs> the, the, the sacrifice is consistent. Uh, not looking at all the shiny objects. You have to call every day. And if there's people calling you, if they don't pick up and you call back, you have to follow up, right? So about three, at least about two to three hours, you have to call them back. And uh, there's another thing that costs you money, which is the offer letter or the direct mail. Uh, I always tell my students, you have to mail at least 3,000 mailers a month. That's a minimum, no lower. You don't want to try it for like, 600 bucks mailers, right? Every single month, spend $3,000 or 3,000 mailers on a county, at least. That's a bare minimum. So it costs you money, it costs you time. Okay. If you have that two commitments, you know, you'll make it work. Okay. Um, I wonder, do you have any like weird stories? Like usually this is a question for people who own actual buildings because people who own buildings always have weird stories. Um, are there any weird stories in land? Like what kind of strange transactions have you done, not done? Uh, not so much weird because, uh, you know, uh, normally with buildings, you have to deal with the tendon and the tendon inside is very weird, right? So uh, but for land, sometimes the owner, they are in different type. Some owners are just super outgoing. They want, really want to talk to you. And some some guy just don't want to talk to you at all. I remember the, I, I closed a deal. Uh, I actually got so excited because he tried to sell it for 20 grand and that land worth about 60,000. So he lives in about Palm Coast, about two hours away from me. So I was so excited. I drive to his house. I knock his door until like my hand turns red and he was inside. And the neighbor told me he is inside. He never opened the door and he only comes out once at 1 a.m. in the morning. That's the one time. So I was like, should I come back at one? And uh, I said, probably not. So the entire time we closed that deal, I never, ever talked to him. And the title agent never, ever talked to him. Everything was on the email, and she got he got the the check even through the 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 mail. She he never talked. I don't know. That was kind of weird. That's that's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, I guess there's like the less. Uh, you're right. The tenants are usually the weird part of the story and the real estate story, but sometimes the owners are a bit special too. So mm. <laughs> it's nice to hear that even land guys have those kind of situations. Um, yeah. so the last question of the interview is, uh, just about, you know, our industry and what do you think we should be talking about that we're not talking about? You mean as far as the entire industry? Yeah. I mean, whatever, you know, you live in your niche of this industry, right? So you see one particular, um, you know, segment of things, but do you have a sense that there's something people should be talking about that they're not talking about? Uh, I think uh, it's just a lot of coaches I see try to make something that looks super easy. And uh, they try to show off their cars, their watch, their their home. And uh, so kind of a, like a hook, right? Hook people in and look, see, if you do what I do, you'll be like this, right? But the thing is, they don't show what's the hard work behind it or what is required to become a person like him. So, you know, when, whenever I talk to my, my student, I always tell them, this is the minimum you have to do to get results. Don't, don't look at that result yet, but this is 
number one thing, number two thing, number three thing you have to do. So I think, you know, as a coach myself, I think uh, we have to let people know beforehand, before they buy your, your, your big ticket coaching program, you have to tell them, I want you to be something like this. I, I want you to do something like this, right? So for me, my students have to be laser focused. I, I don't want, I don't, I don't care where you come from, but if you come in the program, do not look for everything else. I mean, there's no more houses, no more apartments. Focus on this one, right? And we make it work together. And that's how, how, I, how I see that. And, you know, everything, whatever you see, whoever get bigger results, you know, they, they pay a lot of more price behind the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that speaks very much to, you know, your answer to the previous question about sacrificing, right? Is that like, the sh- let go of the shiny object syndrome, fix on one particular thing, and then put in the work that's necessary. And I think, you know, it's actually funny, because like, I get the chance to ask a lot of people this question. And like, a lot of the times, it's the similar kind of answers that come back is that, like you said, a lot of you know, coaches, a lot of people who are in the industry, even brokers are guilty of this, you know, will like show off, like you said, their lifestyle, the car, the house, the watch, whatever it is uh, to kind of hook people in and make it look easy. But I mean, the truth is, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And it's not. So mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, well, look, right. thank you for spending this time, uh, you know, talk, telling my audience about what you do. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to learn more, if they want to reach out? Uh, I have an Instagram account. Uh, my tag there is uh, the same as here, virtual flip land. So V-I-R-T-U-A-L flip land. So easy. Okay, super easy. Yeah. I know I'm going to go check that out when we get off. Um, Ray, thank you again for being with me and uh, I'm wishing you good luck. Thank you, Terry, for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.